Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. Well, it is always an honor to be able to preach the Word of God, and so I am thankful for the opportunity to be able to preach today. I'm thankful for Matt and his ministry and what he means to me, and I'm thankful for you all as well for allowing me to uh, come here and intern with, uh, with Matt, and um, I've had a great experience, have learned a lot with you, 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 you all today. So, And also, I would like to ask you all uh, to pray for me as I uh, prepare to preach. Um, I do have a minor speech impediment, there you go, um, which hinders me from speaking clearly, so I ask that you pray for me as I prepare to preach. So today we are going to continue our study in Romans, and we're going to be in Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, and if you're using uh, the uh, one of the uh, copies of God's Word in the pews, I believe that is on page 886, 886, Romans 5. And as you t- t- turn there, I'd like to, t- t- to ask you, where were you at the stroke of m- midnight, January 1st of th- 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 this year? I know where, where, where I, I was. I was about three feet away from my TV in my living room, standing in amazement with my hands on my head as I watched the dramatic ending of the college football semifinal championship. As some of you know, I'm a lifelong Georgia Bulldog fan, and when the only team that stands in your way of making it to the championship game is Ohio State, one tends to be on, on edge. <laughs> and oh, was it a stressful g- g- game for sure. <laughs> the entire game, Georgia was playing not very good at all. And Ohio State was well in the lead. How, 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 however, Georgia somehow ma- ma- managed to keep it close all the way until the last few s- few seconds of the game. Within the last two minutes of the game, Georgia was able to find their first lead of the night by only a single point. Eventually, Ohio State would make it down the field in just enough time to make it into field goal range, though it was a long kick. With only a few seconds on the clock, the entire game came down to one kick. One singular play would determine the outcome of a four-hour battle. As the ball was snapped, the kick rang out, and the ball flew toward the uh, uh, uprights. 
and seemingly as a New Year's Day miracle, just as the clock struck midnight, the ball faded, faded left, leaving, the, leaving Georgia victorious and headed to their back-to-back championship. What I want us to get from that is one single action by one single player on the team led to the victory and the defeat of an entire team. Likewise, this morning we are going to see how one action by one man led to the fall of the human race, but also how one action by one man led to the salvation of many people. Turn, 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 turn with me to Romans chapter 5. We will start in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by The grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death Reign through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we praise you for your holiness. We praise you for your righteousness. You are good and gracious and loving to your people. We come before you and we confess to you our sin. Our sin condemns us and causes our minds to be turned against you. We confess that we need help, that we need an advocate, that we need your spirit. We ask that your spirit be our helper, 
We ask that your spirit would illuminate the scriptures to us so that we can understand and apply your word to our heart. We know that you are faithful to help those who seek you with a right heart. Thank you for your faithfulness and your grace. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we have worked our way through Romans the past couple of weeks, Paul has shown us God's wrath on unrighteousness and that no one is righteous because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have been burdened by the weight of God's judgment upon sinners. And last week, we got to reveal the peace that we can have with God through the reconciliation of Jesus. Now, as we come to verse 12, we see another therefore, which means what comes next builds on top of what precedes. So let's briefly look at verses 6 through 11 to understand the transition we have here in verse 12. Look at verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to, 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 to die. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. So in these verses, we see the wondrous things we have received from Jesus. And now Paul transitions into verse 12 to show us the opposite, what we have lost in Adam. Personally, I'm a, a, a Marvel fan. I enjoy most of the earlier Marvel films, but there are a few DC films that I like as well. Of course, the, Bat the Batman franchise is the best that they have, hands down. But one thing not a lot of superhero films do, do well is an origin story for the villain. They typically have a detailed origin story for the hero, but rarely do we get to see one for the villain. This is why the newer film, Joker, is one of my, fa my favorite DC films because it gives us an in-depth, it gives us more in-depth details on one of the most popular villains ever. It takes us back to where it all began and how the Joker became so evil. Likewise, Paul teaches us here in verses 12 through 14 the origin story of sin. And that is our first point today. The origin story of sin. In verse 12 it says, Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man. 
This one man is obviously referring to Adam. And when he sinned in the, in the Garden of Eden, cosmic treason spread throughout creation. We also see here the effects of sin as well. Not only did sin enter the world, but it says that death also entered. It entered through sin. But have you ever asked yourself why sin and death are always connected in the Bible? Why does death always proceed from sin? Well, Paul answers this question in chapter 6, verse 23, when he says, For the wages of sin is what? It's death. The wages of sin is death. A wage is something that is owed to us, something that we have earned by our actions. When we do a job, we receive a wage or a paycheck. It is what we have earned. And when Adam sinned, he earned his wage, which is death. And the death that was brought into the world was threefold. Firstly, there was a physical death. Prior to sin, Adam nor the rest of creation knew what death even, even was. It didn't exist. Without sin, everything would have lived eternally. But God's grace, by God's grace, Adam didn't face physical death immediately, though it was well-deserved. But God allowed him to, to live on, though death would one day come. Secondly, there was also a spiritual, a spiritual de 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 death. This shows us the totality of sin's effect, and that it not only kills the body, but also the spirit. Paul says it best in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, when he says, And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins. And also in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 18, when he says, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. This is why, or this is what spiritual death is, a darkened mind and an ignorance, an alienation from God. It is a heart that hates God, a heart that refuses to seek him and one that clings to the darkness of sin. Thirdly, there is an eternal death. That is, the eternal punishment for sin, which is the never-ending wrath of God. We have often heard the phrase, let the punishment fit the crime. which is simply an advocation for justice and the punishment of criminals. That is to say, the punishment for a, mur a murderer shouldn't be the same for someone who stole a candy bar in a store. Mur 
murdering someone is obviously a more severe crime than stealing a, can, a, can, a candy bar. Therefore, the punishment should be proportionately severe. So since the Lord is just, and he deems the punishment for sin to be eternal, what should that tell us about our sin? Our sin is a cosmic treason and a frontal assault to the holiness and sovereignty of the Almighty God. Paul continues back in verse 12 that death did not just affect, affect Adam, but that death spread to all men because all sinned. So we see here that because of, of Adam, death, physical, spiritual, and eternal, has been passed down to all of us. I think John MacArthur's commentary on this verse explains it, 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 it best. He says, quote, Because all humanity existed in the loins of Adam and have through procreation inherit, inherited his rather they sin because they are sinners. In other words, when sin entered the world, men became sinners by nature. Sin had corrupted both body and spirit. It affects every part of us. Therefore, every descendant of Adam inherits a sinful nature. Wonder how sin was accounted for in the period where there was no law. That is, the, pe the period before God gave Moses the law. Look again at verse 13. He says, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But in sin, but sin is not counted where there is no law. When he says sin is not counted, that doesn't mean that people were innocent of their sin. Rather, he is pointing out that there was no quantifying measure of their sin. There was no specific list of their sins. So does this lessen the, 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 the punishment of sin? Is ignorance of the law an acceptable excuse? Well, look at his response in verse 14. He, see, he says in 14, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Even though they did not know the law, death still reigned. They were still condemned. Sin still had its effect. Why does Paul include this here? How does this apply to us? Well, he wants us to see that we are not subject to God's wrath only because of our sinful, sinful actions against God's law. 
We are subject to his wrath because of our inherited sinful nature. Your sinful acts merely add on to your already existent condemnation. You hear today, if you have inherited a nature from, from Adam that is you, hear, you have inherited a nature from Adam that is corrupt and bent towards sin. From birth, you are a sinner and a rebel against God and bound for death. Paul wants you to know that through, through Adam, the representative for the human race, the federal headship for all of us, you received a sinful nature condemned by sin. That is your inheritance from, from Adam. That is his gift to you, death. Then at the end of verse 14, we see a glimpse of our hope. Look there again. Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. In the beginning, Adam was made to be our federal head through whom we receive our inheritance. But God promised that there would be another that would come. Another man whose, whose action would, like Adam, affect many others. Another man who would represent a great, great many people. Another man who would conquer sin and not fall short of the glory of, of God. Another man who would be the true and better Adam. Another man that would gift you an immense inheritance. He is the new federal head who has an inheritance to give to all those that shall be found in him. So who is this man? What gift does he bring? In verse 15 through 19, Paul, Paul answers just that. He tells us of the gift of God, which is our second point. The gift of God. Look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. So let's stop there. So he begins with a comparison. A comparison to show the difference between the trespass, Adam's sin, and the free gift. The gift of God we will define. So what is the difference between the two? Well, let's, let's continue. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man. Jesus Christ abounded for many. So where is this gift coming from? It's coming from the grace of Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. 
Let us not forget the word grace here. For grace is what Christ is giving here. Notice in verse 15 where he says, Much more have the grace of God abounded for many. This is part of the comparison between Adam's sin and the gift of God. This gift of grace, God's undeserved love and compassion towards the sinner, is greater than the sin of Adam. This makes me think of the hymn that we just sung. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured. There where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. His grace is enough. His grace is sufficient. Though your sin might be great, too great to count, his grace is infinite and vast in supply. His cup of grace overflows and shall never be found empty. His grace is indeed greater than your sin. Paul continues the comparison in verse 16. Notice what both verses 15 and 16 say. The free gift is not like. So he is still showing the differences between Adam and Jesus. Look at verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many, many trespasses brought justification. We see here once again that in Adam we receive judgment and condemnation. But Paul here reassures us that the free gift is not like the result of sin. The free gift doesn't judge, it doesn't condemn, it doesn't bring death or guilt or shame. Paul says it brings justification. And not just for one trespass, look what it says. The free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Do you see the hope and joy that we ought to find in this? Do you see that? That this free gift of God not only brings justification for our original sin in, in, in Adam, but for all of your sins, past, present, and future. As we have gone through the book of Romans, have you been bur- burdened over your sin? Has your sin been a heavy weight upon you, one that you can't throw off? 
Does God's judgment loom over you like a dark cloud? If it does, Jesus offers you a free gift. Not only is this gift free in the sense that you can't pay for it, not in good works or with, or, or, or with, 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 with money or in church attendance. Not only is it free, but it is freeing. With the gifts of God, the burden of sin's judgment is lifted off your shoulders and is placed at the cross of Jesus. This gift sets you free from the chains of sin and death. It sets you free from guilt and shame. It sets you free from judgment and condemnation. This gift is the key that unlocks the door of the prison of death where you rightly serve an eternal sentence. Paul goes on to explicitly define what this free gift is at the end of the next chapter, which we just uh, read from. In chapter 6, verse 23, which we previously read, says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In Adam, there is nothing but death. But in Jesus, we find life. Paul continues this picture along with the comparison in verse 17. Let's look back there. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Once again, we see how in Adam, being our representative, death reigns. When we think about a representative, we often think about elected officials who represent our political values or maybe a, lo a lawyer who represents and defends us in the court. All of these are chosen by us. We like to pick who represents us because our representation is important, right? So in regard to, to Adam being our representative, one thing you could be thinking is, well, that's not, that's not fa fair. I never chose Adam to represent me. You, you, you also might think, well, I could have done a better job than him. I should have been given a chance in the gar the gar the gar in the gar 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 garden. I wouldn't mess up like him. Well, you're right in that you never chose Adam to represent you, but guess what? God did. God created Adam specifically to represent you. So are you smarter than him? Can you 
pick a better representative than him? No. Adam was designed to act in the same way you would. Don't forget that God is just and that he created a fair representative for you. Just as Adam fell, you would have fallen too. Yet even though our rightful representative failed and brought sin and death upon his, his, his offspring, God sent another representative who couldn't fail and brought righteousness and life to his people. Did God have to send another representative to fix the, fa- the, fa- the failures of the first? No. That is why Paul emphasizes in verse 17 that this free gift comes in an abundance of grace. God would be right and just to leave us under the judgment of our original representative. But God in his grace and mercy and love sends Jesus to establish another headship, to establish another family. In the family of of Adam, we are given a sinful nature. We are given death. We are given hopelessness. But under the new family, Jesus gives us righteousness. He gives us life. He gives us peace. Look with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn there to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to be looking at verses 20 through 22. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 22. It says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. Christ has been raised from the dead. The, 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 dead. The first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so as in Christ shall all be made alive. Paul, talking to the church of Corinth, says that in Adam there is only death, but in Christ you will find life universalist or those who believe that all people will be saved eventually use verses like this to try and prove that Christ will save all. However, that would be a poor reading of the text. We must remember the context along with the theological themes that Paul is addressing here. So does Paul really mean that all people will be made alive? Well, obviously not, because there are many other passages in Scripture that teach the eternal punishment of those that don't believe. Remember, Paul is talking about headship. Paul is talking about representation. Therefore, he could, you could accurately say, all those in Adam die, and all those in Christ will be made alive. Look at verse 23 again. 
or look at, so we read 22, now look at uh, verse 23. But each in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, look at this, those who belong to Christ. So it is the ones who belong to Christ that will be made alive. There's a, that qualifies the all. All that are in him, all that belong to Christ. We can also see this back in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. Let's go, let's go back, back, back there. Romans chapter 5, verse 17. For because of the one man's trespass, death reigned through that one, one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So who are the ones who will reign in, in, reign in life? Those who receive the free gift of Christ. Now looking at verses 18 through 19, these verses complete the comparison of Adam and Jesus and really sum up the entirety of this sec section. They also describe the heart of salvation as well. Each verse points to the things most needed for us, our salvation. That is the life and death of Jesus. Let, let, let's look again at verses 18 through 19. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Paul here once again reiterates re re that all men are condemned through Adam. No one, is, no one is left out. None is without sin. No one can escape the judgment on their own. But the spotlight isn't placed on Adam's failures. They are placed on Jesus' success. Paul ultimately shows us the how of our salvation. But we must understand that Paul has been developing, developing an in our argument this whole time to get us to this point, to show us the reality of the gospel. Let's look back and see how we got to this point. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1, looking at verse 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 18, which says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Paul starts out with the wrath of God, which consumes all unrighteousness. His eternal, unquenching fury against all sinners. Some people try to lessen this ju judgment by claiming that well, God doesn't hate the sinner. He only hates the sin. Or they'll say, 
love the, love the sinner, hate the sin. I hear this a lot amongst church, churches around the work, work, world. And in a sense, yes, God does have a general love towards all people because they are his creation. So yes, there's a general love for all. But does God really and salvifically love the sinner? I would point these Christians to Psalm 5, which states that the Lord hates all evildoers. And he abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. Indeed, the Lord hates sinners and his wrath will be upon them. So is there any escape from this? Is there any way we can be made righteous? Well, in fact, there is. Paul, t- Paul, uh, Paul t- 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 tells us in Romans 2, verse 13. Let, 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 let's look there. Romans chapter 2, verse 13, which says, For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Well, there you go. There's our solution right there. Just follow the, follow the, 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 the law. Be a doer of the, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the law. Just don't sin against God and you will be made right with him. Be a doer. Be obedient. Are you a doer of the, the law? Are you obedient to him? Well, Paul answers that in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. Let's, let's look there. Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. It says, No one is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become wor- worthless. Here we go. No one does good. Not even one. No one does good. We are commanded to be doers, yet we are told that no one does good. We have already discussed that our nature is sinful from birth. From the moment of conception, you've already failed. Yet despite all that, you are still a doer of unrighteousness. If Paul just stopped there, if you were a doer of the law, you can be saved, but no one can do good, then there would be no hope. If he stopped there, we would have no hope. All of us would be left in guilt and condemnation. But praise God, it doesn't end there. Let's look at Romans chapter 4. Verse 5, Romans chapter 4, verse 5. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as 
righteousness. So there is another way that we can receive righteousness. Obviously, following the law is out of the question. So now there is another way. God in his grace and mercy has given us another way to be made right with him, even though none of us deserve it. It says righteousness by faith. Faith is counted as righteousness. So what does he mean by faith? Faith is one of those words that we throw around a lot, but do we truly know what it what faith what faith means? Thankfully, Paul tells us by making us look at the faith of Abraham. So let's continue his train of thought in Romans chapter 4, looking in verse 20. Romans chapter 4, looking in verse 20. This is talking about the faith of Abraham. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Here we go. Verse 21, fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. This is what faith is. Being fully convinced that God is able to do what he promised. He has the ability. He has the power. He has the authority. Faith is trusting in the promises of God, which we know he has and he will fulfill. Faith is believing in what we know to be true as if it is already done. Can you honestly say you have this faith? What is this faith even in? How how does this faith even apply to you? Well, let's continue there in Romans 4. In verse 22, it says, That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. For us to be made righteous, your faith must be in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. This is the only way for your salvation. Still, you might, you might ask, well, how does faith in Jesus make me righteous? I still sin. How can, how can faith make me right with, with God? After all that, we now make it to Romans 5, verse 18. He leads us up to this point where Paul gets to the how of our salvation. How we are counted as righteous. How we can approach the throne of God without guilt or doubt or shame. How we can have confidence and that we can have peace with God. Knowing the, 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 our argument, Paul has been developing 
Let's now look at verses 18 through 19 in, chap, in, chap, in chapter 5. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to the justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Remember, the doers of the law will be justified. The obedient are the righteous. Brothers and sisters, when you place your faith in Jesus, you receive the obedience of Jesus. When you place your faith in him, he becomes your representative. That means when God looks upon you, he doesn't see your sin. He doesn't see your filthy rags. He doesn't see all the times you've lied, cheated, committed adultery, gotten drunk, or whatever sins you have. He doesn't see that anymore. If you have faith, all he sees is the perfect obedience of Jesus Christ. He takes away your sin and he gives you his righteousness. In the eyes of God, you are righteous. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. With Jesus as your representative, you are left without a spot, without a blemish, without a charge to be brought against you. In him, you receive life and life eternal. In the last section of verses 20 through 21, which is also our last point, I've called the coronation of grace. Because if you noticed, three times Paul says here that through the sin of Adam, death reigned. Now as Jesus comes as our new head and our new representative, he dethrones death with grace by his death and resurrection. Let's contemplate that, that picture as we read these last two ver- verses. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So I think the first thing to address in the first part of verse 20, you might be thinking, so was the law given so that sin would increase or that we would sin more? That's obviously not what Paul is talking about because he even said in verse 13 that sin was in the world before the law was given. What he means here is that the law came to reveal sin, to make it known to us. What increased was man's awareness of his sin. The law shines a light on our unrighteousness and ungodliness. But praise God of the second half of that, of that, of that, that verse. Look, look, look what he says. Now the law came to increase the trespass, tre- but 
where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. John Calvin beautifully puts it like this. After sin has held the men sunk in ruin, grace then comes to their help. For he teaches us that the abundance of his grace becomes for this reason more illustrious. That while sin is overflowing, it pours itself forth so exuberantly that it not only overcomes the flood of sin, but wholly absorbs it. To make a long story short, God wins. His grace overcomes sin and death, and Jesus rules on high for eternity. No matter how many stains of sin you have, the blood of Jesus blots them out. His grace is enough. Tim Keller said that at the cross, we see that the most sin can do cannot thwart God's salvation. Sin at its strongest can, can never and will never overpower the grace of God. And why does grace abound? Well, look at verse 21. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Grace abounds so that grace would reign where sin and death once reigned in power, the grace of God dethrones death and takes the throne. And grace reigns through unrighteousness. Grace reigns through righteousness in those that have faith in Jesus. Does grace reign in you? Well, first we should ask, how does grace reign in one? Like we just said, grace reigns in righteousness. So grace reigns in your life when you start looking like Jesus, the righteous one. Grace reigns when you obey your, 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 your parents, when you love your spouse biblically, when you raise your children biblically, when you come to hear the word of God being preached, when you fellowship and disciple other believers. Grace reigns in righteousness. So does grace reign in your life? Believer who is here today, be encouraged in the gift of God you have received in faith. Be encouraged. Rejoice in the fact that Christ has adopted you into his family and that Jesus now represents you instead of Adam. Let the Holy Spirit challenge you today by checking your own life to see if grace truly reigns within you. If you're a believer and sin is still reigning in your life, the Bible commands you to repent of that sin and cling to the grace of Jesus. If this describes you today and you need help dealing with sin, you need to talk to someone today whether that be another church member that you trust or one of the pastors, talk 
to, to talk to someone so that you can get the help you need. Your eternal life is worth the, 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 the effort. We are all sinners, and we need each other to fight sin together and to grow in sanctification. Unbeliever who is here today, if you do not have faith, the wrath of God is kindled against you. And you will face the judgment that you deserve for your sins. But today, Jesus offers you the gift of salvation. The gift of eternal life. The gift of Jesus' perfect obedience. Jesus promises us that if you place your faith in him, and that, if you will, you, that he will save you from the wrath of God. So do you believe are you fully convinced that the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is enough to save you? Are you fully convinced that Jesus will keep his promise of salvation? Have faith and believe. If you would like to talk more about what it means to follow Jesus in faith, this congregation would love to talk to you about what that means. I plead with you, have faith today. You are not guaranteed another second. Come and follow Jesus. Let this be your invitation. Come behold the wondrous mystery. He, the perfect son of man, in his living, in his suffering, never trace or stain of sin. See the true and better Adam come to save the hell-bound man. Christ the great and sure fulfillment of the law in him we stand. Let's pray. Lord, we praise you for your perfection. You are perfect in righteousness and grace. I ask that your spirit would encourage us in your word. That you would convict us of our sins. And that you would allow grace to reign in us. I also ask that you would call unbelievers to faith and repentance. We thank you for sending your son to be our new representative. And for the gift we receive in him. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.